Biathlon is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship. Two diametrically opposing forces testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport of biathlon. In this episode of Heartbeat, we'll take you to the IBU World Championships in Pokoljuka, Slovenia, to meet the Secretary General of the International Biathlon Union. In 2019, Nicholas Carlson was named Secretary General of the IBU. It was a challenging time for the organization as it was already picking up the pieces from doping and ethics challenges and looking for leadership to steer the International Sport Federation into the future. Carlson, a longtime Swedish sport leader, brought in a depth of experience in sport and a business approach to management that has helped the IBU move forward quickly, positively, and effectively. A former athlete, coach, and program leader in skiing, it was no surprise that Carlson put athletes at the forefront in his management style. After just 18 months, his impact is already being felt across the organization. We'll talk to Carlson about his vision, his background in sport, and his insight on why biathlon remains one of the most popular of all Olympic winter sports. Let's head now to Bled, Slovenia to catch up with Nicholas Carlson, Secretary General of the International Biathlon Union. Nicholas Carlson, Secretary General of the International Biathlon Union, coming to us from Bled, Slovenia on the opening day of the Biathlon World Championships. Nicholas, thank you for joining us on Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Tom. I've listened to your shows and they are really great, so it's an honor to be here. Well, thank you very much. It's been a great experience to work with you over the years, and I know it's been a very productive year and a half since you joined IBU. We're going to explore some of that here today on Heartbeat. The World Championships are being held over the next 10 days in Pokoljuka, which is nearby Bled. Bled is a gorgeous city in northern Slovenia. And Nicholas, what's the atmosphere like there? I know it's probably a lot different than the World Championships in Antholz, Italy, a year ago. Yeah, yeah. The whole season has been special, I have to say. And I really hope that the athletes can see that the highlight of the year, even though there are no spectators. But I think we they're starting to get used to it. But... Of course, everything social, just go to a shop or I think the most important thing that they probably are missing is is all the support from the fans. But that's life these days. I think they're happy to compete and they deliver a great show for for the fans uh, through, through broadcast and So this past year, all of sport, not just biathlon, has been really challenged by the impacts of the pandemic and making decisions on whether sport should continue or even how it could continue. You spent last summer at the IBU developing a plan for the World Cup and the World Championships, and you've been executing that plan now over the last few months. How has that gone for you so far, and has your plan been effective in allowing you to continue with biathlon? Yeah, I think we we can really be proud. It's been a huge team effort from 
all staff, the organizing committee, the teams, the, the athletes, everyone is supporting real understanding. So we implemented a quite strict protocol regarding to behavior, what's allowed to do and not to do. We also put in a quite rigid testing plan and so on. So, so far, uh, we're not over the season yet, but I have to say we can be proud of what we have done together, all different stakeholders. And and um, so that's really, really good, I have to say, even though it's been challenging. But at the end now, we can see we've been running the World Cups, some IBU Cups and the Open European Championships. And I was really impressed when I looked at the numbers. We've been having 44 different nations participating and that they can travel, we can give them a safe environment. Uh, uh, that's really impressive. And we can also see by the numbers that our bubble system is working. Uh, we we don't have spread of diseases to, uh, the, or the virus during our competition. So well, it, it is working, but it's been it's a big effort for everyone involved. You chose to pair up multiple events at different sites. Has that proven to be a good strategy for you in the World Cup so far? Yeah, we got a early advice from our medical advisors to to limit travel. That was the key thing that the travel will be challenging. You will mix with people and so on. So that's why we we had a hard decision to take. Where three of our, our organizers in the World Cup calendar were more or less they were pulled out. Um, then end of the day, we couldn't do the event uh, in in Beijing for reasons I think everyone understands. So. Uh, that have helped us very much to to limit the travel, and I think that I've been very much appreciated from all stakeholders, everyone involved, and so on. And I think the fans they are still it's a good good entertainment we deliver on on uh, TV, so it, it works. It it hasn't been a problem that we have been uh, two weeks at a few places. Let's talk a little bit about your background. You've worked in a number of different sport programs before you found your way to the IBU. Give us a snapshot of where you came from in sport and how you evolved into this role at biathlon. Yeah, like I was, as, as many working in sport, once upon a time, I was an athlete. I competed in alpine skiing, I went to ski academy, had an ACL rupture when I was in the first year, 16 years old, and the second when I was 18. So it was like, it was meant to me not to do competitive skiing, but Already at that time, I, I felt really a passion to be involved, to work. So I started my career in, in sport professional as a coach. I worked with Alpine Skiing, junior program, as ski academy clubs, and then with the national teams and and so on. And had some great experience, in, in especially in the, in the U.S. in Salt Lake City 2002. I was the head coach for the women's Alpine team, and we had some great memories from there with medals and so on. So that was a journey. but. Around 2004, 2005, in one way, you can see that, uh, or as I see it, I, a bit, I stopped working with sport <laughs> because that's what, when I stopped really to work as a coach, more hands-on here 2003, 2004. And after that, it's been more, should we say, to be yeah, heading programs, uh, very much uh, marketing and, and building organization and so on. And I was in Alpine until... In, in the, should we say, sport part from the federation, the national federation until 2006. Started to work with events then, the world championships in order. Then the three years at FIS as event and sponsor manager. Great fun and very, very exciting for me to see the international world of sport, which really 
was really interesting for me, but at that time in life, it was not really working out with family in Sweden, working <laughs> over the world and in an office in, in Switzerland. So then I went back to work with Swedish Ski Association, Secretary General, and, and uh, later on with the World Championships. But this international flair have always interested me, and I was quite I knew that I want to go back. It was more of a timing in life. When can that work to come back and work you know, on with the international sport? Because I think it's a it's a really, really interesting thing and try to work with different people, different culture, different nationalities. And end of the day it's it's a sport is lovely because it's quite target orientated. Let us develop the sport and how can we do that in the best way. So yeah, about one and a half years ago, I, I actually two years ago, quite exactly, I applied for these jobs, and uh, the IBU did a very thorough recruitment process. So, it took some time, but you know that's a race where it's only one winner, and I feel really honored and happy that I got got this job because I came in in a position where, for me, as I saw it then and still do, it's it's only opportunities to work with, which I love. I know that as Secretary General, your role is really all-encompassing. Can you give us just a snapshot of what your job is at IBU? Yeah, it's like it's everything and, and nothing. We are a small organization, so I work quite hands-on in, in some areas, uh, marketing uh, with the broadcasts as we do together with our rights holder and so on. But end of the day, you're a leader of the team. Uh, support them, give them the opportunity to do their job provide the executive board with good material to take good strategic decision and and so on. So it's it's really highs and lows and not any day is, is close to being the same as the other day. So that's what I love. And, and in the position where we are now, I feel it's a huge will and a huge passion to develop, make things better, improve, develop, and all those things together. That's what I... I like to, I promise myself to never work at a municipality because from my view, I might be wrong, but I'm not the guy to work with a copy-paste model that, okay, we did this last time, we copied that and do a tweak of it. It's it's always to strive and the work to, to really achieve goals and to develop um, the sport end of the day. You came into this role, Nicholas, at a time where many would say this is a challenging job. Biathlon had been going through some big challenges with doping, with ethics, and and other situations that really caused problems within within the sport globally. But it had started to take some actions to really fix that. As you look back over your year and a half there, how do you see the sport headed into the future right now? And do you have some good programs in place with a new constitution and, and with your integrity unit to, to really move the sport forward? Yeah, I think exactly as you say, Tom, when, when, when I stepped in, it was coming from turbulent times. And what, what I saw just from a distance was that it was an executive board willing to make a change, to have an initiative a great work with a strategic plan. They had a review of the constitution. So I felt like here are a board that want to transform, they want to develop. So that was very much why I felt, hey, this could be a great journey. And now it's very much to implement things. What is good governance is a work word with many use and, and, and many people have different views of it. But I think now we can say that we are in the in the process of implementing a lot of 
good outcome of these things, as you say, the Biathlon Integrity Unit, that we have totally divided all integrity-related questions towards our sport. So, for example, we do vetting of about 100 IBU officials. Uh, we have the anti-doping program. We have safeguarding the sport. And these kind of things are all handled by an independent board with three independent board members, and we have a liaison person from the IBU executive board. Staff are independent, they have their own budget and so on. And for me coming into this role, I have to say I love that because then we don't have to <clears throat> be exposed to mixture, should we say commercial interest with integrity. And I think that's a bit where many other federation and where the problem have been in sport that the commercial side is growing the whole time and you get concerned and scared if something connected to the integrity would affect the commercial value and that clean cut we have that's something that i think will be seen in the future as a major milestone in our history other things we have with a with a strategic plan target 26 really giving us a roadmap for what we want to achieve in the future. For me and the staff, this is an excellent tool to really push for development. And it's very much how can we support the National Federation for development? How can we engage the fans more, reach a younger audience? And many things are now in the pipeline have it happening now. We have an IBU Academy where we will do a lot of education for coaches which is a big need among our national federations. We will start a support program where to try to connect developing nation with more developed nations, so to say, so they can learn from, from each other and we can give the incentive of funding part of that program, how they work together. We are about to actually tomorrow at our executive board meeting, take a decision about our digital ecosystem. We have done a very, thorough review, building a strategy, how can we engage with more fans and younger fans uh, on TV? The, the audience is very, very old, but here we will launch an app in November, a new website. We will build out the ecosystem to also involve uh, our organizing committee. So I can go on like this, Tom, for quite some time because we have so many great initiatives coming where end of the day, I hope that it is all about the athletes and not just the athletes at the World Cup. It's also the kids, the youth, the juniors out there that have a passion for biathlon, that we really support them and give them a great opportunity to experience the sport. And, and yeah, it, we are in a lovely position and we have all the opportunities for the future. What's heartening about this, Nicholas, is that it sounds like the work that you've been doing, which for the last year and a half has been very much rooted in fixing these challenges from the past and establishing a good baseline of good governance. But now it sounds like you're able to really focus forward and look at Project 2026. Yeah, now it's correct. And I think in the future, like we will have some fundamental pillars in in every organization in sport. And for me personally, it's very much about integrity, uh, sustainability, and, and um, governance. And, and in those things, I, I think sport, we, we cannot afford to fail anymore. So even though I can speak about all these great initiatives, we always need to take care about these fundamentals, pillars building up what we, we stand for because the credibility of sport is, is, is crucial. And we have, and here I speak in sport in general, 
we, we have to be straight, straight uh, screwed up in the international sport family and so on, and we can't afford that anymore. So these kind of principles or fundamental pillars for what we do are crucial, and that will give us the opportunity to work with these great initiative programs to support the athletes, to, to, and we support the NF to do better program and so on. And we are in a financial strong situation where we support our national federation with a fair amount of financial support. And I think that's also one of the success factors why we have on a World Cup relay, we can have 22 to 26 nations participating. And, uh, and that's great that even though we are not the biggest sport in the world, we have quite a big presence with a lot of nations. And that's something we should be proud of. One of the aspects of biathlon that has always intrigued me is it's a very small sport. There is not mass participation. It's not a recreational activity as other forms of winter sport are. Yet you have this amazing base of global fans, strong television, great interest from sponsors. How does that work like that when you don't have that base of foundation? Is the sport itself just so unique and fascinating that it has been able to enrapture these fans worldwide? Yeah, I think we have a very exciting or very exciting elements in our sport. Endurance part uh, with the cross-country skiing and then this precision with the shooting and it can really catch the interest of the viewers and it can also, to combine these things, you know, the, the competition is not over until you finish the cross line. It's, it's uh, at the finish line, so it's difficult to predict. And I think all these things come together. So the commercial product of the, the Biathlon World Cup and the Biathlon World Championships is, is on a very high level. And that's something we should be proud of. At the same time, I do hope, uh, and this is to be discussed and reviewed and so on, but I think we will, we, we have a challenge for the future to also grow the base of the sport. Uh, for sure, it will never become uh, football, but end of the day, we, we, we need to ensure, as I see it, to give all the kids that want the opportunities to try it. And we know that when people try biathlon, they get very excited about it. They want to do it again. So I think that will be very much the future for us to grow the base for the sport because a bit, should we say, the elite part, the part that is also kind of an entertainment part, um, the tip of the iceberg, we do really well. For sure, it's room for improvements here. We can do it better, but end of the day, I think that's, as I see it personally, if the challenge is to grow the sport. One of the aspects of sport that is always interesting and attracts participation is the health and wellness aspects, the lifestyle and cultural aspects. Are, are you looking to maybe enhance the awareness of those to get more kids to participate and get out to the range and try it for themselves? Yeah, I think all of those things, the whole health aspect in, in the society today, I think it will just continue to grow. And we know that the cross-country skiing element, it's a per perfect exercise for it. And I think the excitement with the shooting element would appeal many. Here, I think also we have opportunities to work with air rifle, laser rifles to take down a bit of threshold that you need don't need a full shooting range. So I think that's one area for should we say, to get people or kids and, and youngsters to the sport is to take down the threshold with with the rifle and work more with air rifle and laser rifles. I think that would, would help because I'm quite sure if uh, 
if you like doing cross-country skiing or or you try to do the shooting it is this extra element that puts uh, yeah, it makes it much more interesting. We just need to get more people to try it. One of the key elements of any sport and its popularity are the star athletes, the heroes of the sport. You have many of them. You have many nations involved. Who are just a few of the athletes whose personalities really helps you to tell that story and to entertain the fans? I think that's the lovely thing in sport, and I think in individual sport, uh, I, I would say the majority of them are role models. And in endurance sport, the commitment these athletes are, are doing to prepare for the season is really, really amazing. And of course, these national heroes, that's what's end of the day really drives the interests. And here we have different heroes in different nations, if it's sort of Teavira or Johannes Tinesby or Anna Öberg or whoever they are, Claire Egan, they are great. And end of the day, what, what we want as an international federation, we want a lot of national heroes in many different countries. Uh, the challenge is the way to build those heroes is that they have a success on the field of play. So for us, uh, to be straight and honest, you know, the more nations we have on the podiums at the World Cup, the World Championships, and especially for the U.S. market Olympic Games. If we would have a biathlon winner from the U.S. at the Olympic Games, I think that would have been, that's the best thing, I guess. Uh, probably maybe Mr. Cobb will say differently, but I, I think so. I think the best thing for biathlon in the U.S. would be one or two or several Olympic medals because that will build the national heroes and role models where kids and youngsters want to connect to them. They want to try what they do. And that really drives development of the sport. So I guess we wish you as Biathlon all the best of luck. I think um, the Olympics is not far away. So hopefully it could happen. To that point, while the U.S. has not had Olympic success, it has had some very notable world championship success over the last four years. Have you seen any kind of a change in how the U.S. is respected by other countries in this? And how important would this be for the sport as a whole if there were some great U.S. champions? No, but I think it's like for me, of course, you can judge like, okay, commercial strength on markets and, and so on. And in many ways, U.S. is is a huge, huge potential market. And, and to be a bit politically correct <laughs> answering this question, I, I have a passion for all countries. Everyone is important. But for sure, we have important markets like China and the U.S. We also have Italy in one way that is a bit exceptional because we have great national stars, but winter is important and big in quite a small big small part of Italy. So we don't have a good broadcaster in Italy. So that's also key. So for us, it's a bit to monitor and see what can we, can we do anything to help the different countries? But I think for U.S. biathlons, especially an Olympic medal would be excellent for us and for them. And that would be a great thing. And all the efforts that they put into running a very professional program you know, end of the day, that gives all the possibility to have success, but it's a tough competition. Men wants to have those medals. I want to go to an issue in sport that we touched on just a little bit earlier when we talked about the integrity unit, but doping has been a problem in sport, not just biathlon, but across many, many sports. Uh, it is at the forefront of issues globally right now. 
how is biathlon set up right now to manage that? And what stance are you looking to take to send a clear signal to athletes that doping will not be tolerated? No, I, I think, first of all, to separate and establish this biathlon integrity unit has been one big step. We have also uh, strengthened that organization with quite a lot of more staff. Uh, I, I think we will see a development with um, inside of the sport community because end of the day we do out of competitions tests we do tests on competitions but I, I think a bit maybe where sport have been lacking behind is the work with intelligence to really try to to learn and, and see and and more investigate what's what's going on and so on of course it's difficult because uh, most of the cases uh, are individual peer persons with bad judgments. We have, of course, one exception with the state-driven uh, doping scheme in, in Russia, which has been uh, devastating for, for all sports and a, a big disaster. But I think, for, as I see it, and this is a bit more personal, like there are no money to save, there are no efforts to save, to do whatever we can to ensure a, a clean sport. We owe that to the athletes. Uh, and that's how I see it. And, and personally, I can also be like sport is important uh, and, and I've been working with it my whole life. But at the same time, when the, when the hard work you put into and to get this medal and then end of the day, you're willing to cheat uh, to, to get success. Uh, I, I have a problem actually to understand it because moral and ethics and as i've spoken about several times you we should be role models and you know it's about the credibility of the sport we want to educate kids to be healthy to do sport and then we have these individuals showing this extremely bad judgment but we, we will never give up we will fight forever on this and as i said the resources needed will be put there in place to be able to to achieve it but to answer your question uh, tom we do as i say everything we can putting in more resources, working with a lot, a lot of good people involved in this that I think and believe the, the head of the unit, Greg McKenna, coming from police, working a lot with intelligence investigations, I think he will be able to actually take this a step up, not just for us, but also I think his approach and with integrity unit, we will be able to hopefully develop a better and more precise model to cheat to find the cheaters in sport over time. And, and this can also, of course, we can helpful, be helpful and share this information and how we work with others. So I think we're on the right track to really tighten it as much as we can. Uh, we need to provide athletes with a clean sport. Nicholas, with the decisions by the World Anti-Doping Agency and subsequently the Court for Arbitration of Sport relative to Russian doping, how is the International Biathlon Union managing that issue with the Russian delegation at this point? Yeah, it was, um, I think, a surprise for many of us when we saw the, the reduction of, should we say, the award or penalty that CAS decided to implement. It is a challenge with the full implementation, of course, because reading these pages of 182, try to understand them, uh, try to find a way how should this be implemented. I think it can be interpreted in very many ways. Uh, we have done it a bit differently than other sport organization, International Federation. Uh, we, for example, is not allow 
allowing um, the full name of Russian biathlon to be to be mentioned. We are just allowing the acronym uh, RBU, for example, uh, and all these things. But uh, we we can have a two three other podcasts about this topic. But I've been. Uh, for me, it's clear that this, uh, how I see it, this is a verdict against the Russian state because of the wrongdoings they have done with the manipulating data that they were going to provide. And this is just a small part of the full ugly commitment they did with Sochi and they destroyed experience for many athletes and how they ruined it, uh, from my view. And uh, end of the day, how I personally see it, if it is a verdict against the Russian state, how can we ensure that it feels tough for the representative from the government? And we have, of course, the CASA war to follow. And the interpretation of that can be quite wide. And of course, it's, it's um, yeah, you deal with lawyers here, you get advice. If we do that, we will get uh, sued. And if we do that, that might be wrong. So we've been trying to balance it. But, but from my way and, and I think what we, my personal, what I'm missing has been since Sochi has been the debate in international sport. How could this happen? What did they do? And what can we learn from that to really debate that and learn from it? It's been more yeah, uh, lawyers and, and uh, statements and Pyeongchang. I, I think it's, uh, yeah, as I said, we can have a couple of more podcasts on that topic, Tom, uh, because it is, interesting and i think it is important that we discuss about it what happened what can we learn from it how can we ensure that this can never ever happen again that we have a state sponsored doping program for athletes let's switch to another topic that i know is near and dear to your heart and has been something at the forefront of your efforts working in other organizations and especially at the world alpine championships in sweden Climate is a very important topic across the world right now. And how do you see the responsibility of sport leaders such as yourself to address climate relative to their sports? From the beginning, I think we want to be like we are trying to live out of, for example, sponsorship when people want to associate themselves with us as an organization, with athletes, with teams. So I think some years ago, everything was about exposure how many seconds can you deliver a company's brand on TV? I think today, for example, many countries are still there. Some have been a bit taking it down. But I think in the future, it will be very much of importance that we stand for the right things. As I said, these fundamental pillars, as I see it with governance, integrity, and sustainability, if we fail of them, I wouldn't say it ruined the whole financial model in sport, but it will affect the financial model. And I think that's one of the reasons. Another reason is that we are, as I've been saying several times, we and the athletes should be role model. We have the possibility to inspire old generation and future generation. And we need to take that responsibility and really do best practice. If that's about gender equality or if it's sustainability, it is of major importance. And based on this, in connection with that, we do our most sport and the Olympic sport of biathlon on snow, we, we should have the motivation to do everything we can to, to limit um, the climate change, because it is, for me, 
one of our biggest responsibility to ensure also that the future generation can have the experience of biathlon on snow. So I'm happy to say that we've been having a good process involving all the national federation, the executive board, and now I think we have a good policy, how we want to act and, and, and a strategy, how we want to get there. And when we come to these things, it's, it takes time. You know, we have goals towards 2030 to make a, a difference and it will be a lot of work and it will also end of the day cost a lot of efforts. It will also cost money to do the right priorities. But I think we are in this position that we need to show that we walk the talk and do the right priorities for the future. And, and it's a responsibility for all of us. Nicholas, over the next 10 days, you will be in Pokoluka. You will be seeing the world's best biathletes achieve their dreams and their goals. Will it give you a good feeling in your heart to see them accomplish those goals, knowing that even in just your year and a half that you've been a part of bringing this federation forward to a new direction heading to the future? Yeah, like I, I lie, like I'm not so involved with with athletes and 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 so on. I'm more in the background there, but I, I like it when our organization feel that we are pushing for development. We got positive feedback. We are moving in the direction, and and in my view, like I'm a, a small player uh, in a big system here with executive board fully committed. And for example, with sustainability, they was not a long discussion for them to take this discussion a decision about sustainability so i'm really happy that it is a strong commitment to do a lot of good stuff here and with the staff especially this season with covid we've been having staff members working like crazy to be able to deliver and i i'm really proud and happy to be part of this committed and target oriented organization and, and that's what drives me to do more and want to do more and to develop the sport and make it better. End of the day, it's all about the athletes to to give them the best possibility to do their sport. And if we can help some of them to live and, and earn some money on this, this is great. And, and to give kids the experience to do biathlon, that's what we want. So yes, I will be proud and happy to see also the organizing committees and their commitment and efforts, all the volunteers and this is what I love about sport. There are so many different aspects all coming together from old people, people having getting memories of their life, being a volunteer here or a youngster doing it for the first time. It brings people together. And, and some people, sometimes in sport, people can have different views and you can fight about things. But the lovely thing, as I see it, is that it is the passion for the sport that makes us fight sometimes and have different views. And that's a great thing. Because without passion, we wouldn't have sport. So, no, I'm in a great place, and I love it. Nicholas, we're going to close out our podcast with a section that I call On Target, a series of what I hope will be simple questions, although I think the first one may be challenging for you if you want to stay politically correct. But in your, you've been in this now for two seasons and you've been around the world to see different venues. Have you, have you, have you, uh, do you have a special or a favorite biathlon venue yet, or do you need to be politically correct here? <laughs> I can be politically correct, but in my nature, I'm more frank and honest because I think that's uh, the long-term thing for sure. For me, experience in my new role, uh, the world championships in Antols with blue sky, Huge crowds, excellent food, great hospitality, 
good competitions, you know, that will be a memory I think I will bring with me for my whole life. Then the lovely thing is that each organizer have their assets and strength and, and good stuff. But to pick one, I would say the World Championships in Antol was an amazing experience. Yeah, it's a pretty regular choice by everyone. And for us as Americans, of course, that silver medal by uh, Susan Dunkley was very, very memorable last year. Uh, it was really amazing. So you're a golfer, and I imagine you've had an opportunity to golf at some very interesting places around the world. Do you have a favorite golf course that you've played on? Uh, that's a more difficult one because there are several. I'm looking forward to go to the U.S. to play golf. Never done that so far, but in Europe here, I would say like my my home course in in Germany, in Berchtesgaden, is, is a very lovely place. And what I really love with that is that you play in the alpine uh, the slopes. So you have the T-bar lift crossing the holes. So I think that's probably the most unique and cool place and the mountain setting and scenic it, it's really amazing there so it's a nine hole golf course that is one of the more special golf courses in the world so i picked that one well when you do come to america to golf i'm sure we can get you set up at some really nice courses uh let's head to a different mode of recreation i know you and your wife are sailors what is your dream adventure in your sailboat nicholas yeah, that's a 14-month break from job and, and sail from, yeah, from Slovenia where we'll have the boat to Caribbean, then Bahamas up to Florida, the whole east coast of the U.S., crossing over to Greenland, Iceland, and, and then back Scandinavia and down. And that will probably take 14 to 15 months. Sounds great, sounds easy. You just need to find the time and the resources to do it, but I hope I will do it one day. It's a nice dream. Now, you're a native of Sweden, but you're working in Salzburg now. So are you keeping the boat in Slovenia? Yeah, in Portoros, a lovely place, and, and only three and a half hours away from Salzburg. And I promise you one thing, the summers down here are better than in Sweden, so it was an easy choice where to have the boat. Well, I hope to be in Porto Roche this spring if uh, COVID is willing. So maybe we can entice you to come down and take us out on the boat. Yeah, would be nice. Now, you love to cook as well. If you're making a nice dinner, so I come and visit your home, be it in Sweden or Salzburg, what's an amazing dinner you would love to cook for us? <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I did a bad decision, I have to say, when I moved to Salzburg, because one of my passion is to barbecue. And I bought the grill in a bit in a hurry, and I bought too small, not good enough. So either it would be like, for me, I usually do like not the fancy four-hour cooking. It's more to take the good, fresh ingredients. If that's some good dry-aged meat, or if it's a lobster, oysters, and, and I, that's what I like quite a lot with it, Italian food, because that's it's not simple, I wouldn't say, but they, they work with very good ingredients. And then, you know, you don't have to cook for four hours to make that perfect beef bourguignon or something, beef bourguignon. So uh, I, I think when you come, I, I think we will be in front of the barbecue, taking a beer, watching the good steak, even though this is not the best thing with sustainability. And that's a big challenge for me 
to go more vegetarian because I, I love beef. So I, I think a salad and a beef and, and maybe a nice homemade BNS to that and a glass of red wine. I love it. I love it. I'm going to put that on the schedule. One unexpected thing that you've learned in your first 18 months on the job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of things I've learned, and, and it must be uh, to pick out one. It's uh, That's the hardest question, to pick out one. No, but I, I think what I've learned, which I'm really impressed and what I really, really like, is is in Biathlon, is the, the big understanding and underst- commitment understanding from all involved stakeholders. If we speak with the National Federation or the athletes or the organizing committee, it's a well-balanced system. Everybody feels that IBU have done in the past and is currently doing a good, we are balancing the interest between the stakeholders in a good way that we try to contribute. And this is something that I learned and I'm trying to continue to work in this direction because this is easy to say, but it cannot take for granted that you get that to work where you have an understanding because usually there maybe the organizing committee they want to have more money they want to have more support the athletes want to do it the national federation everybody wants more but here what i really love is that you can have good constructive discussion because there are there is an understanding about every stakeholders needs and challenges and and that's what i learned and and it's uh, the best should i say one of the best assets we have in the biathlon family one final question. In one word, Nicholas, what does biathlon mean to you? Passion. Passion. I love it. Nicholas Carlson, thank you so much for joining us on Heartbeat. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I, as I said in the beginning, I joined to listen to your your Heartbeat podcasts. And, and I will, though, have to say that I usually have problems to listen to myself. So I will not listen to this show, but... Uh, I know you do a great job, and I hope it will be um, appreciated by your listeners. I'm sure it will. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Tom. What an insightful conversation with Nicholas Carlson. I've worked with Nicholas for many years in his various roles, and I'm excited to see the leadership he's bringing to Biathlon. We hope you're enjoying Heartbeat. If you want to get episodes sent directly to you as soon as they're out, simply hit the subscribe button. You'll find Heartbeat on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. We'll be back with another episode of Heartbeat soon. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. For all of us at U.S. Biathlon, thanks for joining us on Heartbeat.